This summer, our church has been doing a series all through the book of Galatians, and you're lucky because you come in right at the end of it. Now, not the very end, but uh, we've been in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, for uh, a little bit, and here we come to the first 10 verses of chapter 6. It's on your handouts. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, is writing this to a, a small group of churches in an area called Galatia, the Galatian Christians, and he says this to them. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, and then they should take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Nevertheless, uh, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. instructor. But do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. For whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those in the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. We often say thanks to God. Anyone here a, a gardener or planted a few seeds out of your house this year? Now for those gardeners here, uh, this is harvest time. And, and you being here today or this weekend probably means that you aren't harvesting your garden. But the tomatoes are probably just about perfect and the corn is ripe and sweet. And it seems like the beans are growing about a foot a day. Now gardens are so productive at this time of year that it's really hard to keep up on them. Sometimes you just gotta throw your hands in the air and, and just give up, I can't keep up with it. And maybe you're the one who's trying to preserve the abundance of the garden, to freeze it and can it and save it for the winter. Or maybe you're not a gardener, but you're, you're someone who's had that classic Midwestern trick pulled on you. The, the zucchini drop in the middle of the night on your porch. <laughs> And you're stuck with it. What are you going to do? Well, you have to eat it, and you can only eat so much zucchini bread, you know? So good luck. I, I suggest you try uh, grilling it with salt and, and herbs. Now, this year, I didn't plant very much because our little baby was born right around planting time. Just some cherry tomatoes and some kitchen herbs outside the back door. And the herbs are growing better than I've seen this year. The parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, plus basil, oregano, and mint. And this year I planted two varieties of tomatoes, uh, six plants, not a lot. And the sun gold yellow cherry tomatoes are so sweet, they're practically like candy when the sun, afternoon sun hits them. And this year they grew like eight feet tall. In fact, they grew so high, they grew beyond my seven foot trellis and I started having to train them back down again along the sides. And I've grown these tomatoes for years and I wish I had planted more of them. Because the other variety I grew this year was a an heirloom cherry tomato variety with a, a red with a yellow stripe in them. And I got the seeds uh, for my dad as part of a membership for him for Christmas to the Seed Savers Exchange. 
And my dad uh, grew them from se into seedlings. He nurtured them and took them to a friend's greenhouse so, so they'd grow a little bit bigger. He transplanted them. He carefully brought me three seedlings all the way up north. And I planted them in early May in my earth boxes and carefully brought them into the garage every night to protect them from frost. I remember we had a frost right before Memorial Day last year, uh, this year. And they, they were doing well. They had everything they needed. They were in self-watering containers. They got all the water they needed, but not too much. They had all the fertilizer they needed, but not too much. And that they were not healthy. The plants grew, but not very quickly. The sun gold cherry tomatoes, which I planted three weeks later, were twice as tall. They got mold and, and disease. The leaves started falling off of the bottom. They ripened slowly. They're still not all ripe, and they didn't even taste that great. The, the, even worse, they got cracked. You know, the, the half of the tomatoes on the vine uh, cracked down the side, and if you didn't get them within the first day, they'd turn moldy in this humid weather we've had. They were bad fruit. And when it comes to gardening, you reap what you sow, right? Uh, unless you get a volunteer, you reap what you sow. If you sow good seeds, you usually get good fruit. And if you sow bad seeds, you get bad fruit. If you sow weeds, like some of us do sometimes, then, then you get weeds. And that's what Paul, the letter writer, has in mind here in Galatians. He says, you get what you sow. But he doesn't mean that the way we sometimes would like to think things work. He's not saying you get what you deserve, or you can only get what out what you put into it. If it were that simple, why would he have spent the whole rest of the letter attacking that very idea that we can do something, do anything for our salvation? Now, I've been preaching this letter to the Galatians all summer long, and I'm probably going to wrap it up next week, but if something in this sermon sparks your interest, you're welcome to go to our church website and listen or watch the archives of the sermons. And Paul has been writing to this group of churches in Galatia that he started to on one of his first journeys. So these are baby Christians. They're new people. And someone has just come along and, and told them something different from what Paul taught them. They've been convinced that they have to do something that they have to become Jews and follow all of the Jewish religious rules to be part of God's family. And Paul in this letter says no to that in every single possible way he can think of it. No, that is not how it works. This is what at sta is at stake, he says. Either you can do something, you can have some part in your salvation, or you can have Jesus. Either you can do something to save yourselves, or Jesus did it all. Either Jesus' life and death and resurrection are pointless, because why did Jesus come if there's already a, a way to be right with God? Or Jesus is all in all. And you can guess where Paul comes down on that. The only thing that matters, he says, is to live as spirit-filled people. And, and so how do you know that you're living by the spirit? Well, he comes down to it here in chapter 6. He says, you know by loving your neighbor. Now the trouble is, if that's the case, then there's this group of people in this church who've gotten way off track. Someone's been teaching this false idea, and they need to be set straight. And verse 1, Paul addresses that directly. He won't name names, but there's someone out there, maybe someones, who need to be gently restored to the church. Someone was way off track, and they need to be brought back. How? By the Spirit-filled, Spirit-living people by those who the Spirit has marked as part of God's family. And how do you know that is true? Because they love their neighbor, including that person who led them astray. And you might have gotten the idea from Paul that what we do doesn't matter because only what Jesus has done matters, and we might as well live any way we want, uh, pleasing ourselves. You know, people like to say, uh, you do you. 
But that is not what Paul is saying here at the end of Galatians. He's saying that God's people, God's family, the, the ones who are a part of God's saving work, they are not in it because of anything they did. They're in because what what God did, uh, what nothing they did. And how do you know that you're in? How do you stay in once you're in? By living as a spirit-filled person. By loving your neighbor as yourself. By expressing your faith through love, he says in chapter 5. And then Paul gives us this practical image of what that looks like. It's a, this image of carrying one another's burdens. Uh, and that is love, carrying someone's weight for them. And he says that that fulfills the law of Christ. That's the Jesus way. Uh, Eugene Peterson, a, a pastor in Minnesota who translated a version of the Bible that we call The Message, uh, wrote this about this passage. He says that Christ sets us free. And, and Galatians says that over and over again. Jesus Christ has set us free, but he has not set us free to not give. But refusing to give is self-destructive. And we may be planting weeds, uh, weed seeds right alongside those good veggies. Uh, Peterson says, every word of criticism, every avoidance of compassion, every indulgence of greed is a seed that will mature to destruction. And that's what Paul says about sowing to the flesh. It can only lead to destruction. Now, of course, as any gardener knows, you can't harvest potatoes overnight. You plant potatoes, and then you wait. And Peterson says that you can expect this long stretch of darkness and silence and waiting and putting down roots, and none of that is visible above the ground. But you still have to weed and cultivate. You still have to water and fertilize and wait before you can harvest those potatoes. And Paul points out one way this can all go off track. He says in verse 3, If anyone thinks they're something they are not, they deceive themselves. And maybe you're proud at how well you love your neighbor. Maybe you're proud at all the good seeds you've sown. Maybe you're proud at all the good fruit you've harvested. And that, that is not the way of Jesus, he's saying. Instead, you've got to test your actions. Am I loving me or am I loving my neighbor? Am I doing this because of what Jesus has done for me or because I want something in return? And then he says something confusing. He says, we should take pride in our actions. Wait, wait, didn't he just say that we shouldn't be proud? Uh, th that's pretty confusing, Paul. But what he means is something like this, that we bear responsibility for our actions, good and bad, and one day we will stand before God to give account for them. Everyone will have to carry their own load. Is that, that's what he means there. But that doesn't mean that our status before God depends on anything we do. We've been over that already. It's the fruit that reveals our reality. Life by the Spirit or life lived against God. See, Peterson reminds us that you cannot sow in the Spirit and expect to harvest eternal life overnight. You, you may be tired out by all of this giving and loving your neighbor. You have got to keep on loving because some of those seeds, some of that kindness and forgiveness might be ready to harvest a long time from now. It could take years, it could take decades, it could take a whole lifetime. But keep planting good seed. Now the, the second half of this passage, verses uh, 6 through 10, talk more about money. That's a bit funny because the word money isn't even in there all, at all. But Paul is talking about uh, doing good to all. First, about uh, supporting pastors, uh, those in God's household. It, it, there's a lot more going on than money, too. It's about reaping and sowing in the Spirit. But Paul is clever, of course. He rarely uses the word money, even when he's talking about it. But it's clear that that's what he's talking about. He, he's talking to the household of God, 
the economy of God in Greek. And, and because the Spirit has called people out of the world, out of that dog-eat-dog -dog world of survival of the fittest into this new way of being, the, the church is this grand social experiment. What happens if we throw all these different people in together into a new family? What does living in the Spirit look like? It's moving out of that mindset of scarcity into a life of abundance. Out of scarcity into abundance because there is always more than enough in God's way. And part of sowing in the Spirit is taking care of those called to help the church, uh, to grow in understanding. It's, it's those who instruct and teach, uh, those we might call preachers today. But supporting preachers is just part of it. And this congregation does a really great job of supporting me so that I can focus on preaching the word and leading us in worship. But the, the second part that Paul talks about is sowing in the spirit as loving your neighbor. And Paul is, is calling, it calls it doing good to all. It's something that we can get tired of easily. It's, it's easy to give up on sowing your seeds of loving your neighbor. But he says God cannot be mocked. God cannot be sneered at. God cannot be deceived. Because sowing for the flesh, sowing for that human, self-interested way of living will bear bad fruit. It will lead to destruction. And in the same way, sowing for the Spirit will bear its own good fruit. And how do you know that you know? You will have done it. You will have loved your neighbor as yourself. And third, the, Paul talks about doing good, especially to those in the family of believers, in the household of God. Now that line might make you a little bit uncomfortable because Paul isn't saying that we should so, show preference to people who are Christians. And he means that we should love them because they are there. It's like the question someone once asked Jesus. Uh, who is my neighbor? Well, the answer is usually right in front of you. Although, of course, that's not the end of it. Your neighbor is anyone near or far that God places on your heart to, to love and to serve, and that makes us uncomfortable because we'd like to put limits on who our neighbor is. We'd like to pick who our neighbor is, but the gospel doesn't work that way. Neighbors don't work that way. You, you love your neighbor, and it does not have limits. There's a, a novel out there by John Updike uh, um, called The Coup, and there's this main character in the story who's a, a humanitarian aid worker. He's out there serving in this poor, poverty-stricken, drought-ravaged country called Kush. It's a, an imaginary place. And he works for the US Embassy, and his job is to deliver American junk food to starving refugees. And in the process of that, in loving and serving these people, he is killed by the very people he was trying to help. And in the novel, the, the widow reminisces about her husband. She remembers him, and she says, now I've forgotten a lot about Don. I didn't actually get to see that much of him. He was always trying to help people, but he only liked to help people he didn't know. He only liked to help people he didn't know. And there's something true and, and wrong about that. You see, helping people, yes, but only those who you don't really know, those who you can hold at arm's length, people you don't really have to let into your life and heart. It's easy for some of us to write a check or, or click on a GoFundMe and send a donation to someone we don't know halfway around the country or around the world. It's harder to do that for someone you do know, for your neighbor who is right in front of your face. And it is good to be generous to strangers, don't get me wrong, but what about the person who is there? And on the other hand, for some of us, we might rather only help those who we know. You know, uh, we take care of our own kind. We help each other around here. And there is a good and holy side to that, but there is 
a dark side to it too. The dark side is that we forget about loving the stranger and the foreigner and the widow. And Paul says, though, that especially those in the family of believers, because he knows that they are already doing that. They've already committed to following and helping one another and caring for the stranger. Now we've got to help each other, to take care of each other. We've got to do good to those who are nearby. And we've made promises to each other at baptism, promises to care and to teach and to walk alongside each other. And we shouldn't let anyone fall through the cracks in the church. But it isn't just a job for the pastor or for the elders or for certain people with certain roles in the church. It's, it's a job for everyone. It's a job for everyone who calls on Jesus' name to always be looking out for that neighbor. And that is not just the one who is right in front of you, but also the one far away. Now, life in the Spirit, life living in such a way that the Spirit fills every part of you, it, it means that you will love your neighbor. You will act uh, in ways that do good to all, especially to those who are in God's family. Now, it may not come naturally at first. You might struggle with loving your neighbor. Uh, you might uh, uh, struggle loving that person who's right in front of you who is so annoying and exhausting and draining. It might seem easier to find a neighbor who is far away who you can just send a check to. But the love of Jesus has a way of bridging those gaps and drawing us deeper into love for each other. And there's nothing you can do to, to get it, to get in. There's nothing you, you've done that can keep you out of God's kingdom because Jesus loved you first so that you can love others. Jesus flips the script. He changes the way that things work from scarcity to abundance, from loneliness to love, from fear to faithfulness. And that's how you know that you're part of God's family that you're walking in step with the Spirit, that you're truly following Jesus, you love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. Or as Paul says earlier in chapter 5, all that matters is faith working itself out through love. Now, if you've never heard that before, or, or if it struck you differently today, uh, I invite you to, to reach out to me or to one of the people you've seen up here helping with stuff. Uh, ask a question. We'll listen. Or maybe you're up north just here this year for this time. Well, when you go back home, maybe uh, find a, a, a church to get connected with. I can help you with that. Or if you're here every year, come again. Stop in and visit. And we'll, we'll help you connect with the church and we'll point you to Jesus, God's living word. D dear friends of Jesus Christ, love your neighbor, says Paul. Love one another. It is the same thing. And that is what the Spirit is doing in us. That's what Jesus did for us in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the one who calls us to, to, you, to, to God. You are the one who brings us into his presence. And, and by your Spirit, you are shaping us to be kingdom people, to be people who love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, we admit that we struggle with that often. And as, as we hear your word, you've placed people on our hearts and minds that we need to reach out to or listen to or care for or love. Empower us by your spirit to do that. Help us to be your people who love one another, uh, uh, all doing good to all people, especially those in the family of God, that we may proclaim Jesus' name, that we may be spirit-filled, spirit-living, walking by the way of Jesus' people people of love. We ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.